Welcome to A New Lens with Common Good Capital, where we talk with investors, RIAs, fund managers, and philanthropists about their experiences within different impact investing themes, as well as explore the power of stewardship and capital. I'm your host, Jeff Schaefer, CEO of Common Good Capital. With me today is Tom Nelson. We met several years ago when he was swinging through Orlando. Looking forward to this discussion today. I think it'll be very fun because Tom comes from some very unique perspective. Tom is the lead senior pastor of Christ Community, and he is president of Made to Flourish, and I'm sure we'll hear more about both of those. Tom is is an author of several books. One of them, which I have read, is Economics of Neighborly Love, Investing in Your Community's Compassion and Capacity. So, Tom, welcome. Yeah, Jeff, it's uh, great to be with you and uh, each one who's uh, tuning in today. So it's, it's my delight. And you're hanging out in Florida and I'm in Kansas City. I think I'd rather be where you are. Uh, Kansas City's <laughs> kind of, it's kind of cloud, cloudy today and it's probably sunny and beautiful there. Well, I will tell you on today, uh, day in January, typically Florida is the place to be. Maybe not uh, August, but uh, I'll give it to you today. So let's let's dive in. Why don't you give us a little background on, of yourself, I mean, where you grew up, where you went to school and just a high level of, of your career? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I mean, we all have our stories, so I'll tell just a little bit. I grew up in uh, Minnesota, rural Minnesota, so I'm a northerner. Grew up in a large family, knew how to work. It was early uh, farming family. But then I went to college, both at the University of Minnesota and the University of North Dakota, and studied business. So my, my background is sort of business. While I was in college, I got involved with a student organization that I joined actually in a vocational way for almost 10 years, working with mm-hmm. college students which was really great, different places around the country. And then I went to seminary, did a four-year graduate program at Dallas Theological Seminary. And then as crazy as that can be, well, I also met my bride, Liz, who have been married 36 years, which is awesome. But we, I went to seminary. So I have a, a master's of theology, a four-year master's in, in theology at Dallas Seminary. And then we did the craziest thing imaginable, Jeff. My wife and I packed a 24-foot rider truck, left Dallas, and arrived in Kansas City in uh, a little apartment. Mm. 32 years ago, we had no idea what it meant to be a pastor or how to, how to lead a church. And we were a church of two. So <laughs> I, uh, I have been involved with some entrepreneurial endeavors, but uh, I've had the joy of having a front row seat and truly an amazing entrepreneurial faith endeavor. Christ Community Church has been blessed and grown in many ways. We are a multi-site high campus church and I have a great staff that I work with and continue to love being a pastor. It has its challenges, but it's also its joys. And as you alluded to, in my journey, I also helped launch another entrepreneurial energy five years ago, an organization called Made to Flourish. Uh, and I serve both in a senior role at Christ Community, and then I also serve as the president of Made to Flourish. That's just a little bit of a background of kind of the things that have shaped me educationally. And I've been blessed to have uh, a lot of opportunity to learn and grow and to write and uh, to serve. Well, I'm assuming we'll get more into Made to Flourish and some other things. One random thing. So I'm going to try to make a connection here. We'll see. So my uncle, his name is Jeff Wells. He is a pastor in Woodlands, Texas. He actually went to Dallas Theological Seminary. I don't know when he was there, but does the name, have you ever heard of Jeff Wells? You know, I don't think so. We probably were there at a different time. Okay. I don't know how, you know, I've I've been gone there quite a while. I don't know his age. He probably today is 65. I'm guessing. Yeah, that's a little ahead of me. But yeah, so maybe we were at a different program. I don't remember him, but we must have been pretty close. We're going to start with a big question right off here. How would you, and it's specifically broad, how would you best describe who you are in the context 
of where you're at in your journey? That question is a really good question for me because who I am fundamentally is an apprentice of Jesus. I believe Jesus is the most brilliant person who ever walked this planet. So in my primary identification is I am continually loving and learning from him and with him. So I'm just saying my leadership understanding so much flows on that. But I would say where I am right now is that John the Baptist, you know, was a character, if you've read the Bible or heard of the Bible, who introduced Jesus and and, uh, he said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. But John the Baptist didn't really go far enough. All of our life, we're a follower of Jesus as I am. So much of life is other, you know, Jesus increasing and us decreasing. But what John the Baptist didn't say, Jeff, is that others must increase. So I think the sense of others increasing around me captures the passion I have now for the stewardship of, of generativity. Mm. So much of leadership and servanthood are helping others develop around you. So I really think that's a big part of where I am. And in, in that, you may go specifically, I'm doing a lot more work on neuroscience and interdisciplinary thinking about right brain hemispheres and other kinds of things, if you are aware of that. And that is really spending more time on relational understanding, emotional intelligence. I still Mm -hmm. believe deeply in mission and accomplishment and analytics, but I'm spending much more time on a certain part of understanding that I have underdeveloped. So, I mean, just on a personal level, my intellectual curiosity, my leadership, I'm spending much more time thinking about interpersonal neurobiology than I did 15 years ago. Interesting. So I don't know, I mean, you and I had never had this discussion, but one of my undergrad was in psychology. So oh, what you're talking about, I mean, I'm not an expert, but it's fascinating. That So, okay, now maybe this is a little more practical. Yeah. How would you say you're trying to change the world today? And obviously you've got several hats that you wear. So choose, you can either do a couple of them or just how, how are you trying to change the world? Well, I would ask first of all, or say, first of all, that I'm trying to change me, number one. Okay. I mean, with God's help. So I think the primary stewardship of influence is my own life because I think we lead and live out of the overflow of our life. I don't think you can lead or have an influence greater than your leadership. And when we understand a biblical framework, that intimacy flows to integrity that flows to influence. So that, that is the picture of the foundation of life is to be intimate. That we are built with relationships in mind. So the deepening relationships leads to integral life. And that intimacy and integrity leads to uh, influence. So I would just say that's a really big part of what I'm focused on. Articulate that specifically as it relates to Made to Flourish. Yeah, and Made to Flourish, Made to Flourish was birthed because there's a great need in our culture for culture flourishing. I think we can all say that the culture in many ways is not flourishing. So then we have to ask the question without reductionism, what are the factors? What are the areas that are contributing to that lack of flourishing. So underlying made to flourish is a change theory. And the change theory says this basically that flourishing pastors, or you could say flourishing leaders, but flourishing pastors lead to flourishing congregations that lead to flourishing communities. We think all three of those things are interconnected. So made to flourish focuses on all three, but our primary thrust is pastors personally flourishing in their leadership and their uh, helping congregations to integrate faith, work, and economic uh, wisdom for the flourishing of their communities. So I would just say that is really at the heart of what I'm about as a change agent is to focus on that change theory and all three of those components matter to us. So maybe Flourish is focusing on flourishing pastors, flourishing congregations uh, as a national network now and flourishing communities. 
and we can you know get a little more granular but i mean that that is the the idea because if i will say one of the great challenges uh, many people are called in my profession i'm coming from my my main calling as a pastor a clergy person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that we spend so much of our energy focusing on how good we do on our Sunday gathering or whenever we gather, and we do not spend the same energy on equipping our congregation to do really well in the Monday world. Uh, I call this malpractice. Mm. So I call it clerg- clergy malpractice. And we were trying to adjust that because here's what it is, Jeff. It's like, I came to this conclusion 20 years ago that I was spending the majority of my time equipping my congregation or my parishioners for the slimmest minority of their life. And I've turned that around where I spend the majority of my time, how can I equip my congregation members where they spend the majority of their time? And of course, that leads to what we want to talk about business, economics, Mm -hmm. work, Mm -hmm. and so forth. It's very important since we spend so much time doing that. I read your book, Economics of Neighborly Love. So I've been with this question, I'm fascinated to hear how you answer this question. One of the questions that I ask everybody who comes on is, when did you realize the power of capital? How do you answer that, especially in light of what you just said and light of the book that I know you've written specifically around neighborly love, which actually has a little twist that I don't think most people think about? It's a great question, Jeff. There's a lot to that. I mean, yep. when we talk about sort of capital, I think we can talk about multiple Yep. ideas of capital. So I'm assuming we're talking about the very important part of economic or financial capital. However you want to answer it. But I'm saying, let's just, let's just go with financial capital okay. or economic capital. Is that from a biblical viewpoint, the Bible speaks a ton about money. Uh, surprisingly, Jesus does as well. The Bible frames a story that we were created in an economic world. We were created in community. So the idea of economics and economic flourishing is woven through the threads of the biblical stories, first of all. And what we see, for example, is that capital brings capacity. Now, let me just let me just flow a little bit of that because, for example, now I'm going to use a lot of biblical examples. We could use other, but but mm-hmm. the Bible's a brilliant economic textbook. The Bible speaks of capital, speaks of money uh, a lot. Not only its perils, but its possibilities. So I'm just mm-hmm. saying, that if your listeners have had any idea uh, exposure to biblical teaching or scripture. That shouldn't surprise him. Jesus talks more about money. He talks about heaven. (laughs) So so it matters. Okay, so I just take the money capital aspects. Let me just take one example. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus talks about the great commandment. So again, most of us, the great commandment is all the Bible summaries of loving God and loving others, loving your neighbor, right? And he tells a story about a guy who loved his neighbor well. He's called a Samaritan. Samaritan was outcast, but he rescues this person who's most likely Jewish, who he sees by, by the road, okay, that's been beaten. And, and notice the text will say robbed. All I have to say is that it's a great story. You're a great good Samaritan. But the challenge there is that he not only expresses compassion for a neighbor, the text is very clear about that, but we often miss that he had to have the capacity to do what he did. Not only the compassion and the energy, but the economic capacity. Because if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, most people have heard that story. Yep. He not only wound, you know, binds his wounds, which was amazing, and cares for him right there. This guy beaten and robbed. Notice he's robbed, which is an economic concept. But he takes him to an inn and throws out his American Express card, right? Uh, and says, I'll cover it all. Well, how could he do that? In fact, we're pretty sure that he was on his way on a business trip to Jericho, because Jericho in that time was a major economic center with the spice trade and so forth. So I'm just saying, Jesus tells a story, and he says, to truly be a good neighbor, you not only express the compassion of another person, but you have to have capacity to care for them. 
So again, even that very simple parable that woven into the great commandment is that neighborly love, loving our neighbor, whoever they are, local, global, a client, involves both compassion and capacity. You need both. So here's the thesis, right? I mean, just think about this with me, Jeff. So, you know, if we have compassion without capacity, right? If we care about something, but have capacity to think about it, we have, uh, you know, a sense of frustration. Yep. If we have capacity and we don't have compassion, we have alienation. Yep. But if we bring compassion and capacity together, then we have transformation. Jesus, then we have neighborly love. So, I mean, it is woven, woven into that idea of capital and capacity. We can talk about leverage, we can talk about other concepts, but that is about building capacity. Yeah. And so for those who have a faith background, I'm, I'm going to take yeah. a leap of yeah. faith here, not to use the <laughs> word again, is, you know, when you hear about, when I read your book, it was counterintuitive to a lot of the stuff that I've probably been raised with, which is much more about, you know, sell all your goods uh, and, and give to the poor. And so right. there's obviously some balance that you're talking about of you got to have, in this case, you got to have the capacity to be able to love on them. I know you guys have a magazine and I think you call it, I know it's common good. You call it the common good? Yeah. I'm curious, what is your, because obviously we're common good capital. How do you define the common good? Yeah, you know, I think that's debated a little bit, but but I yep. think what what we would say is that from a I'll just again I'm going to bring a little bit more of a theological background. Okay, that's good. That our my, my narrative, my meta narrative that kind of guides me in a in a leadership role is the biblical narrative. So when we look at that, we start with the common good is centered in creation that we all are made in God's image. Right? I mean, that's an early chapter of Genesis that every yep. male are made in God's image. That means we have intrinsic worth and value, regardless of what we believe, regardless of what we look. So I'm saying, I think we center the common good in the common foundation of what's called the image of God, that, that each human being has intrinsic value and worth. And again, that has to drive our idea that everyone has value. Everyone should be cared about. You know, we enter the world. We know this. You have psychology background. We know this more and more from psych- psychiatry. We enter the world not in a flight or flight response, but we're learning more and more in a reach response. What I mean by that is that we reach out when we're born. Our instinctive neurological ways is we reach out to someone who's reaching for us. And when reaching out, right, think of common good, when yep. reaching out, we're asking two fundamental questions. Are you trustworthy and am I lovable? Okay, mm. so when we, when we bring that together, we were created in God's image, okay? And, and every human being matters. So what common good addresses the intrinsic value of every human being, Martin Luther King, I think he said it brilliantly, he said, you know, we must learn to live together as brothers or sisters or perish as fools. Mm-hmm. So you think about Jesus reminds us that, that God sends rain on the just and the unjust in everyone, that he loves everyone as his children in that sense and cares for them. So even back to Luke chapter 10, and I'm giving examples, that the Samaritan loved this person who was other. And the word actually in the Greek language is that he saw this other person who was from another ethnicity lying by the road as a family member. So the common good has a couple things to it. We can talk about its practical implications, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, right? We're, we're, we're needy people, meaning seeking people. But at the heart of that is this deep sense that we are made in God's image and that we are to love one another, and we were created with community in mind. So the common good has to have a sense that we have uh, responsibility and privilege 
to seek the well-being of others, not just ourselves. And that has multiple dimensions, right? And that's and that's why we started Come Good almost four years ago now is I think the financial services in the U.S., look, they do a lot of wonderful things. But the one thing that I think we could do a better job is that very concept you just said. We do think about others when it comes to charity. Right. But what we don't think about is how our capital influences or impacts other, our investment capital impacts others. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And obviously, that's why we created the uh, our name. I love your name. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a stewardship of that. Yeah. We there have, is. We'll there's a stewardship, not just of my own flourishing. Yep. But others flourishing. In fact, we know that we are, that is related. They are not, cannot be disconnected because we were created with community. We flourish within community. And you know, what's interesting is regardless of one's faith or lack of faith. Yeah. I don't think many would disagree on this concept. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty common uh, knowledge or understanding. I think that if we could live in a world where we cared for each other a little bit more, it'd be a better place. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, caring for, I think, you know, just to be transparent, depending on your worldview and your perspectives and your moral codes and your values, sometimes the intersection of that common good is a little messy, right? Yep. Somebody understands what is, you know, there are some tensions yep. of individual freedom versus, so forth. yeah, yeah, conscience versus uh, prejudice or bias or, right, or bigotry, you know, whatever. So. To me, what's interesting is, is look, you have your value set, I have my value set. But at least there should be a dialogue of what this common good is. I, I think we're, we've lost even the dialogue as much as we should. Yes, there's. I don't know that it has to be perfect agreement, but we need yeah. to talk about it a whole lot more. Yeah. To that point, you mentioned the word a second ago. You know, stewardship is something that we talk about here. So I'd be curious. Uh, you know, what does stewardship mean to you in the context of everything we've just been talking about? Stewardship is more than wise money management. It's not less than that or capital management, yep. or capital investment, right? Or, or philanthropy. It is. But that concept of stewardship contrasts with ownership and, and right. And it also contrasts with community and autonomy. In other words, we have a certain level of autonomy as humans, right? But we're not fully autonomous on our own. So I'm saying stewardship, the, the biblical story or the worldview, the narrative that I speak out of, mm-hmm. which is a very ancient narrative, begins with the idea that I am a creature creature created by God. That gives me value, but it also suggests that I am not completely autonomous, right? That I have accountability, that I have been giving, given something that is not my own. So the idea of creator, creature, I mean, if we believe, believe that, right? Yep, yep. If you have a different foundation of origins, you might not have that. But stewardship flows out of the origin that, Someone else created us and we have an accountability, I'll use that word, of everything. In other words, the Bible, again, the scriptures say that God owns it all. Let's use that language. Ultimately, God is the ultimate. It doesn't mean the Bible is against private property. It's important for private property. (laughs) But at the end of the day, we don't own it. We don't own our lives. In fact, I'm with people who die. I mean, I was just this Mm -hmm. week as part of my role to be with a family as they lose, you know, to say goodbye to their loved ones. It's a very moving time. But, you know, you realize, again, when you leave this world, you don't take things with you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right? Everything from the breath. So, I mean, when we face our mor- mm-hmm. mortality, we realize, you know, we have been given freedom. Life is an incredible gift, however we understand it. But there's a stewardship of that. And so stewardship, to me, is a fundamental posture of all of life, our relationships, right? Our minds, our bodies, right? Our communities, our physical spaces. So, I mean, the stewardship commitment 
since money is so important in all dimensions of life and economics is very important, it's also important in all dimensions. And I find when people are thoughtful stewards in broader dimensions of life, they usually are better stewards of the economic aspect of it. You know, one of the things we're actually been doing some writing, and, and you've heard this phrase many times as well, but this idea of what does it mean to be a steward of your time, your talent, and treasures, uh, it clearly is, is, is bigger than that. And I actually, I'd be curious your, your thoughts on this, but I have seen 2020 with COVID, I think there's been an awakening of, and maybe a challenging of this idea of like, we're in control of everything. I think you start to realize, mm, we're maybe not. And there's an ever-increasing knowledge of interdependence on each other. So to me, if I look at 2020, yes, a lot of heartache, a, a, a unfortunate death, but there's some real positive there. So I think we start realizing that we're not in control and that relationships in each other matter a whole lot more than I think we in our normal lives probably recognize. Yeah, I really think that's insightful, Jeff. I mean, none of us have been prepared or even know how to navigate COVID. For most of us, it's all new. But I think that's one of the good aspects in the midst of the storms and difficulty, not to minimize the difficulty. Right. Because I think we are able to see clearly some things maybe we haven't seen before, but primacy relationships over just accomplishment or activity. All right. So we're going to close out with a, a very big question. And again, I always preface this so people, it doesn't have to be like, if you would ask me, what's your favorite color? Like, I hate that question because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I like two or three colors. But if you could make a, a dream come true for your life, what would that be? Apart from saying that I would love God and others well, I know that sounds cliche. Got it. But apart from that, right now where I am, I would say that I would long for faith communities, for local churches, to be what they can be in the world in terms of the womb of genius and leadership, the womb of transformation in terms of people's lives and culture and a place of safety a place of transformation. I really believe that God designed the family, family and the local church to be, to be primary repositories and catalysts for human flourishing. So if I could add one value in my world, I would love to see more and more local faith communities really flourish as God designed them to flourish because I really believe that if they were focused on helping their congregants flourish on Monday. And of course, that's where your mm-hmm. team lives, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. serving that there would be a massive transformation uh, in our culture. And I'm mm-hmm. not you know, against government things and other educational opportunities, but I think the family and the local church are uniquely positioned and designed to be a major catalyst for human flourishing. So that's what I would love. If I can contribute how much time I have left uh, I really would love to see more of that. We have a long ways to go. You know, anecdotally, I have been doing some prison work probably for almost 30 years now. There's probably two common themes I would tell you uh, when I talk to these men, uh, men and women, but predominantly men that I've yeah. chatted with. Number one, well, it's not, I'll say of the two, drugs tends to be in there. And then the other one is, is uh, and this is not always the case, but there's an absent of an absent father or a father who's in the yeah, you know penitentiary family, down the way family component yeah and so to the extent that the faith community can you know really sink into that family unit i don't know how you would would argue differently that what a great way to create change in a, in a in a country in a culture but the family unit i mean let's face it you know relationships are hard and but having that blood just puts it 
at a different level that you just can't replace it. Yeah, and Jeff, and for those who are listening, you know, the word oikonomia, which is a Greek word, which we get economics from, is two words in the Greek of household steward. So it, it ties to the business aspect of a household as the basic economic unit. So mm-hmm. even you think about economic flourishing, when you talk about single parents or just yep. the challenges of economics, let alone all human flourishing in terms of moral character, you know, love. And I would add Viktor Frankl here because I think he's brilliant. Oh, yeah. We find, you know, we are meaning-seeking creatures. When our clients come to us, right? I mean, in one sense, we're trying to figure out financial management. We're seeking meaning. Right? Yep. I mean, we are meaning creatures. So remember, Frankl said brilliantly from his Holocaust experience and as a psychiatrist, as you know, yep. we find meaning in three things. And again, this, this, he was a very uh, aware of Torah, which is the foundation of the Jewish uh, scripture. And this flows from Torah, is that we find meaning in the relationships we have the work we do and the suffering we encounter, right? So, I mean, those are three things. So just to highlight, yes, I think that's where family and the local church can give that plausibility, that context for a life that is really flourishing. It's funny. Uh, I just was mentioning Victor Frankel to, I think what, one of my kids, I don't know if it's my daughter or my, or, or my son, but it's, it's that whole idea of, um, taking responsibility and creating, uh, you know, meaning that, even in a concentration camp, there's still there's still meaning to be to be had. So you know, and we're it's been an interesting 2020. So hoping uh, as we're now in 2021 that uh, we'll have learned some of those lessons. But what you probably know and I know is is if it's not COVID, it's going to be something else. And Jeff, can I say to you and your audience? Uh, sure. And I say this wherever I go to speak to business leaders, CEOs, uh, different kinds of things. I, I want them to hear, because I am a pastor and I'm a clergy guy, even though I have a lot of background in other areas. I want them to hear, first of all, how much God loves them, right? I mean, this is the great joy uh, to communicate what the scriptures teach, but also that the work they are doing and serving others in the economic developing capacity, stewardship version is really important. Pastors often don't, we don't, Many of us don't understand that world. We're, we're disconnected, which we're trying to help, but made to flourish. Mm-hmm. But I just want you to know from my heart that as just one pastor, what you are called to do on Monday and the work you are doing and serving clients and uh, wealth creation and wealth stewardship is extremely important. And it, it's something that God cares about. It's something that I care about. And I hope if you're a part of a faith community, you hear that. It's uh, unfortunately not real common, but we're going to try to make it. Uh, make a difference there. But thank you for what you do. Yeah, well, I appreciate your your comments to everybody. And we were talking before the discussion here. I do think even just the value of a good job has been reinvigorated in, in everybody's head because of COVID. And so right. you're totally right. The, the act of helping somebody work through their finances is, is a, it, frankly, it's a gift. And it's something that we don't even think about. What, a, what an amazing opportunity we even have to invest in things and invest in others. And I think we take that for granted, but you are right. The fact that I can actually, I mean, you think about today for as little as $25, you can go up up an account and, and invest. That's pretty, pretty awesome. And economic flourishing is a fundamental aspect of human and community flourishing. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. And you guys are a part of that. So thank you for what you're doing. We appreciate you taking the time, sharing your insights with us. I know you've got a, a busy rest of the day. Um, you've got a, a service tonight and, and uh, working on just some of the, the challenges that this trans, this transition, the government is causing people some uncertainty. So appreciate what you do 
on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I look, I know that pastors, that's a tough job. And it's it's a job that um, I, I think most people look at and say, oh, you guys got it all together. Uh, no, I mean, I know, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I know as my, my uncle's a pastor and I've been around it long enough yep. that it's, it's a very, very hard business. So, or not business, but, um, calling. And so yep. thank you for what you do on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's a uh, meaningful and especially pastors like yourself who are thoroughly engaged to say, it's not just the, the hour on a Sunday, but really it's the, the other six days of the week is yes. where it all comes together. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, great to be with you. Yeah. Thank you for the wonderful conversation, Jeff, and the good work you're doing in your company. Well, uh, hopefully we can keep it up. So don't forget to subscribe to A New Lens with Common Good Capital on your podcast app of choice. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. This will help new listeners find the show and hopefully put them on a path to a more fulfilling portfolio within the impact investing space. I'm your host, Jeff Schaefer. We'll see you next time. This podcast is a production of Common Good Capital and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation of an offer. Such offer would only be made through a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors in private placement securities should be aware that making an investment is speculative and involves a high degree of risk, including the risk of losing all or a portion of an investment. Investments of this nature are illiquid and subject to substantial restrictions upon transferability.